Anyway, I um, wanted to just first of all introduce uh, to you uh, the ministry that we have started. Um, my wife and I were missionaries and pastors uh, for many years, uh, more than uh, 30 years, and then uh, we also went into a ministry uh, called uh, Chaplaincy in the Workplace. And uh, we just two years ago, actually March 1st, we started our own uh, ministry called Eye Care Team. And we've been doing workplace ministry, w- reaching out to the employees of uh, companies all across Denver Metro and Longmont and helping them walk through problems, issues, concerns that they might have. And we've been able to uh, help them in a times of difficulty and crisis. And because we're there for them when they're in need, many times we have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. And so it's just uh, been a, a blessing and and I just feel like God has raised us up uh, for this time to do this ministry. And uh, when Jeff asked me if I would share, I wanted just to share some examples of how God has used this ministry uh, in the lives of people. And so I just want to, this morning, before we uh, jump into the passage that I'm going to share with you, I just wanted us to lead in prayer and then we'll, we'll, uh, I'll just share with you. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I just come before you in the name of Jesus, thanking you for your word, thanking you for the opportunity to speak your word and talk about you. Lord, this uh, ministry that you've raised up is all about you and and your love and your compassion for people. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as you uh, speak today, Lord, may our hearts be open and receptive to what you have to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, Matthew chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read a passage that's um, about Jesus as he comes out of Jericho, followed by a large crowd. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. It says there, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They, ans- they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. They regained their sight and followed him. In April of 2017, just a little less than a year ago, uh, Mary was on her way to a uh, women's retreat in Wyoming. And I was home uh, working on some things. I don't remember exactly what I was working on, but... Um, there, the owner of a company was trying to call, call me. In fact, uh, she couldn't get a hold of me. It was the owner's wife. She couldn't get a hold of me, so she called Mary. Mary tried numerous times to call me, and my phone wasn't working. And so no one, I couldn't uh, get, pick up any calls. And finally, I, I got a text from Mary saying that uh, there was a crisis, and I needed to respond to it um, as soon as possible. And uh, so I got some details from, through Mary, and then I uh, also talked to the employee that was in crisis. 
And uh, quickly, um, well, I, I need to back up a little bit. I got my phone fixed at Verizon. I ran to Verizon, got my phone fixed, and then I made a call to the employee to get uh, uh, to t- find out what the crisis was. And I rushed to the hospital uh, and to find out that her husband, who had been hunting with his best friend, was um, shot in the face with a shotgun. And um, the devastating thing was that he'd lost sight in both eyes. And uh, can you imagine that? Uh, it was at fairly close range, you know, the, the BBs all hitting him in the face, and his face was just covered with uh, the buckshot. And so uh, I was there with the family as he was in surgery, and we wept together, we prayed, we waited for the news to come out from surgery, for the surgeon to come out. We sat there, embraced each other, there was a lot of tears and concern, and sometimes there was just silence. But as we sat there, I, I thought to myself, how painful that would be to go through a life with being able to see and then not being able to see. And I thought about the, the sunsets and the sunrises that are so beautiful and, and thinking, never to be able to see one again. I thought about the, the, uh, the kids growing up and, and seeing the, the joy on their faces as they open their Christmas gifts or their birthday gifts and not being able to see their face or their response to uh, opening their gifts again. Uh, I thought about the, the, the summer uh, lakes and the beauty of the, the, the trees and the, the green grass growing around the lake, and I thought, never being able to see that again? I thought about uh, the, the flowers blooming and the beauty that God has given us, and I, I thought, n- not being able to see that, or the majestic mountains that we live so close to, the Rocky Mountains, and not being able to see those sights again. I thought, what a shame it would be to, to have experienced that and then not be able to have that experience again. And I thought about uh, Tom, who was shot in the face, his beautiful wife, Amy, and never being able to see her beautiful face again. As I looked at this passage, I could kind of feel for these two men because they lost their sight. We don't know if they were born that way or if they had lost their sight at some point in their lives. All we know is they were blind. And Jesus was on his way uh, leaving Jericho. And let me just give you the context of this setting because I think if you understand the context, it's helpful to understand this passage. Because this journey that Jesus was on didn't start in Jericho. By the way, it started in Caesarea Philippi, which is the furthest most point. If you were to look on the map, it's way up north. In fact, it's one of the furthest most points of Jesus' ministry. And he was in Caesarea Philippi. He uh, told his disciples, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they said, some think you're Jeremiah or Elijah or John the Baptist or Eli- Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon Bar- for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he blessed him because he said, you answered correctly. 
You had a divine revelation. Well, if you remember right after that, Jesus prophesies that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem he's going to suffer at the hands of the elders and the scribes, the chief priests, and everyone, and he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he's going to rise again. And, and then Peter, who had just had the divine revelation, says, no, it can't be, it can't be, this won't happen to you, Lord. And Jesus responds back and says, get behind me, Satan. This is not the will of God, this is the will of man. See, Jesus knew that from this point on, from the Caesarea Philippi, he was turning his face toward Jerusalem, and he was going to head in that direction, and he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to pay the penalty for sin. He was going to rise again on the third day. And he knew that was it, his calling. He knew that was God's will for his life, and so he was turning his face in that direction. And so when we get to this city of Jericho, he's still on the uh, the on this route to get to Jerusalem. He hasn't got to Jerusalem yet, but he's on the route. In fact, he's only just a few hours or a few, maybe even a day before he was going uh, for the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover week, as sometimes it's called, was going to start in Jerusalem. In fact, if you look at the next passage in Matthew chapter 21, it says this is the triumphal entry. So he is coming to Jerusalem in a time of incredible excitement for uh, Israel. Because this was the, the most popular, the most uh, uh, welcomed time of the year because it was the celebration of the deliverance from Egypt when they were uh, captives, when they were slaves in Egypt. They were celebrating their deliverance. They were celebrating their freedom. And the, this, uh, this week of uh, the celebration or the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was to uh, also celebrate the fact that they were set free from sin and slavery. And they celebrated by taking all the leaven out. They made their homes pure. They cleansed everything. At, at the peak of that week, they had the Passover in there. It was a 24-hour period in that week. And then during the Passover, they, they slew thousands and thousands of lambs. In fact, they estimate that there could be as many as 2.6 million people in Jerusalem at the time of this Passover. And for every 10 people, they had to have a sacrificed lamb. So that's 260,000 lambs that were sacrificed in Jerusalem on the day of the Passover. Incidentally, at the very moment that Jesus was being crucified, those lambs were, uh, the cry of those lambs was being uh, heard all over Jerusalem as they were being slaughtered and their blood was shed and running down into the Kidron Valley and Jesus was being hung on the cross and his blood was running down the cross. Guess who the Passover lamb was? It was Jesus. And it was happening. And Jesus knew that he was on that journey, heading toward, heading toward that city, knowing what was going to happen to him. And the crowd was excited because this was their greatest celebration. These are Jews that are heading on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. One of the most popular pilgrimages is during the Passover. And so they're on the way. And so it's not just Jesus walking with his 12 disciples out of Jericho. It's this crowd of people that are coming because they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're on their way because they're going to be there for that Passover. They're going to participate in the celebration of Passover and the liberation that they found and the freedom they found because God delivered them from Egypt and from their slavery. And so now as they, they're moving on this trek out of, um, out of uh, Jericho, I can imagine there's excitement in the crowd. 
They're thinking we can't wait to get Jerusalem because this is an exciting time. I can imagine that their, their thoughts of, of uh, walking with such a popular person was just great as well because Jesus was now a famed rabbi. He was also not only uh, considered a rabbi, but he was also considered a great prophet because he was able to do miracles and all kinds of things that they, they thought God must be with him because he can do things that no other person can do. And so they're looking up to him, and there's excitement because he's in the crowd. And I'm sure that as they, they were moving along toward Jerusalem, they're asking him questions about the future because, remember, they're thinking he might be a prophet. And so they're saying, okay, what's going to happen to us? Is, is Rome going to be thrown off of us, and are we going to have our liberation now from this, uh, this empire called Rome? Are we going to be set free? And I'm sure there was all kinds of questions and all kinds of excitement and a lot of talking and, and shouting and cheering because they were, they were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And all of a sudden, there's an interruption. There's a distraction. There's two men that are crying out uh, as, 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 as the crowd is walking along. They're crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They're using a messianic term, the son of David. And they're crying out, Lord, have mercy on us. Well, the crowd wasn't interested in helping them. In fact, this was a distraction now because they're on their way to the Passover. They're, they've got more important things to do. They need to get to the Jerusalem. They need to celebrate the Passover. They want to be on time. They want to start this celebration, the, the week of the unleavened bread. And so they wanted to be there. And all of a sudden, there's this distraction of two people that are yelling out to them, Lord, have mercy on us. And so they hear this cry. The crowd turns to them and said, now just be quiet. You're distracting us. We're on our way to Jerusalem now. Keep your mouth shut. But the crowd did it, and they kept yelling even louder. They would say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, what do you want me to do to you? Or what do you want me to do for you? And do you think Jesus knew what they wanted? I think so. <laughs> but you know something? Do you think that God knows what we want? When we, uh, even before we pray? Yes, he knows. But you know something? God doesn't want to just answer all of our thoughts and prayers before we even ask. He doesn't want us to uh, just to be in a disconnected relationship with him. He wants us to be connected to him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And so there's more than just uh, having, uh, you know, just answering prayer, but he wants us to be in that relationship, loving uh, him and him loving us and communicating with him. And so the goal is that we wouldn't be disconnected, but that we would go to him with all our needs, our cares, our adoration, our, our worship, everything. He wants us to come to him. And so Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. And so Jesus says to them, or he responds, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight. And look what they did. They followed him. You see, sometimes we, we look at this uh, passage and we might think that uh, 
Well, Jesus might have had a different motive. He might have had a motive that, well, you know, he's, he's trying to build up his popularity somehow. And, uh, you know, if he does another healing, maybe people will believe it that he's the Messiah. No, that wasn't the motivation. The motivation is right here. It says, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion was his motivation. You know, some might have thought that uh, he, uh, he had other uh, reasons for doing this. Maybe it was just to uh, uh, get a, uh, people to believe that he was, uh, was God. No. He knew that, that one more miracle wasn't going to change anything. He'd already done hundreds and hundreds of miracles, and so one more wasn't going to change people's view of him. In fact, he knew that in just a few days, uh, even some of those people in that crowd were going to turn against him. And so, he, and they saw the miracle. So Jesus knew that wasn't going to change anything. You see, Jesus was moved with compassion. And he touched their eyes, and they were healed. You see, Jesus hurt for the hurting. Jesus loves people, and he hurts when they hurt. And that's why. He did what he did. You know, as I study the scripture, I look over and over at what Jesus did, and I see that uh, there's there's this theme in the scriptures. If you look at the Gospels, there's a theme over and over. And listen to this, and I'm just going to quote some verses. You don't have to look them up. I'll just quote them real quickly. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Seeing the people, he, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast or dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, it says, He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. That was at the feeding of the 5,000. In Mark 8, 2 and 3, it says, uh, I felt compassion, speaking of Jesus, I felt compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. That was the feeding of the 4,000. In Luke uh, chapter 19, it says, uh, in verses 41 through 42, he saw the city and wept over it. And in John chapter 11, verses 34 through 38, at the death of Lazarus, he asked the question, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. The next two verses, two words are, Jesus wept. You see, there is a theme that runs through his ministry. He was motivated not because uh, he was trying to get people to like him, or his own popularity, he was moved with compassion and he responded to people's needs because he loved people. He saw their hurt, their, their, their hurting and their, the difficult lives they were going through and the hopelessness he saw in their lives. And so he wanted to respond to that. And so he was moved with compassion. He touched their eyes. He was moved with compassion. He prayed for people. He was moved with compassion, and he healed them. He was moved with compassion. He fed them. You see, his ministry was compassion. It was love for people, and that's what motivated Jesus. You know something? Jesus is still seeing the people in their hopelessness, in their need, in their desperation, And he's saying, go show them compassion. Go be my hands and my feet. Show them compassion. He's still doing that today. You see, um, 
the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Listen to these words again. Everyone who loves, everyone who loves is born of God. Now, I had a person recently say, wait, wait a minute, everybody could love. I said, yeah, there's, there's three types of love. There's eros, which is maybe a sexual type of love. There's philo, which is a brotherly love, like you love those who love you. And I said, there's, uh, there's agape love. And agape love is loving people unconditionally, whether they love you or not. They, you don't care. You love them anyway. Even if they treat you bad, you'll still love them. I said, that's only comes from God. And it's the agape love that, uh, that John is talking about here. And he's saying, you, only those born of God agape love someone. That care about people that are hurting. That care about people that are in pain. Because the other loves sometimes are very self-centered and they, they only love because we get something back. But you know something? It says here in this passage, those born of God. They agape love people. They're unconditional love. They care about people no matter what and whether we get anything in return. And he says, those who are born of God love and those who know God love. And he says, those who do not love do not know God. And he said, for God is love. You see, if the Spirit of God lives in us, we love, we show compassion just like Jesus did. Because we have that agape love in us. When the Spirit of God comes in us, He changes us, He transforms us, and He helps us to love people like He loves them. So we are the incarnation of Jesus. We're We're the Jesus living on earth now because He loves through us. That's what the Scripture is teaching us. That His love, His Spirit, His compassion, His desires, His concerns, all are a part of us because He lives in us. So when we walk into a place, into a building, into a workplace, into a a home or whatever, we carry that love with us. We carry God's Spirit with us and that compassion. And so when we see situations like that, the compassionate heart of Jesus comes out and we want to minister to them. You see... That's the result of having the Spirit of God in us. And that sets us apart from the rest of the world because the rest of the world doesn't love like that. And when we love with compassion like that, people see Jesus and they want to know Jesus. That's what He calls us to do. He calls us to do that. He calls us to love like that. Uh, the Apostle Paul kind of emphasizes the same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let me read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of you already know this passage. It's the love chapter, and everyone has read this one. But the, let me just read the first three verses. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not lo- have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, if we don't have that agape love in us, 
He says, we're nothing. We have nothing. We're empty. Because when God's Spirit comes in us, we love like God loves. We love like God loves. We have compassion like Jesus. Recently, I saw this uh, happening in our own home. Just a couple of weeks ago, Mary uh, was uh, called upon to minister to a, a woman, a friend of hers that was, her um, mother was passing away. And um, Mary had a really busy week. In fact, the whole month of January and into February have been extremely busy for us. And yet, Mary took the time to go to the hospital and sit with Laura and her sisters and her brother and a brother-in-law for hours. In fact, I think one day it was seven hours that she spent time with them, ministering, hugging on them, crying with them, helping them walk through the, the tragedy uh, of her mother uh, just about to pass. Then on Saturday night, I was going to preach the next day, and, and um, we get a call that, or a text that uh, this mom had passed. And Mary says, we've got to go. We've got to go. So we went to the hospital we were there till after 11 o'clock that night, I think uh, three or four more hours, and we sat there and prayed with them, cried with them, helped them to walk through the grief of a lost mom. Momhood passed. Because that's the compassion of Christ. I mean, I w- my first thought was, you know, I've got a busy day coming up today. You know, tomorrow morning I'm preaching, but, but when Mary said that, I said, no, we need to go. We need to go. That same day, the very same day, several hours earlier, Mary spent four hours with a woman that was going through a marriage crisis, and Mary helped her walk through some forgiveness and some issues that were come up because of this crisis. The same day. Because of the compassion of Christ. You see, that is... I have that modeled in my own home, how God uses Mary to show compassion to others. You see, that's what he's called us to do. And it's never an inconvenience. Like the crowd thought it was an inconvenience that these blind men cried out to Jesus on the way, when he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is an inconvenience. Why don't you guys just be quiet? We're busy right now. But it wasn't an inconvenience to Jesus. He responded because he knew that they were hurting, that they couldn't see. And he said, no, let me deal with that. You see, sometimes it's not convenient when we get called upon to help people. But Jesus calls us to help people that are hurting and, and help them walk through their grief and their difficulties and their sorrows. You see... I spent uh, hours with, uh, in the hospital with Tom and Amy. And I was hurting for Tom. I was hurting for Amy because I know that they were going through a rough time that day that he got shot in the face. And I prayed fervently that Tom would recover his sight. 
And while we were waiting to see, hear the results, and we get this glim news from the doctor that he doesn't think he'll ever see again. It just kind of took the wind all out of us as we sat there. And I remember uh, the pain that I saw in Amy's face, and I thought, how tragic to, that her husband may never see again. And then the friend that was there sitting in the waiting room uh, that had shot him in the face, you could just see the pain just uh, well up in him and tears coming down his face. And I, I stayed with them for a few more hours. And then uh, when I had to leave, I told them that I would be back the next morning. And the, the wife of the friend said to me, Chaplain, can you tell us what to do? She says, we do not know what to do in this situation. I said, in the morning, I'm going to meet with you privately, and I'm going to tell you what to do. I came back the next morning. I spent some time with Tom and Amy, visited with them, and then I went and visited with this other couple. And the man was saying, I can never forgive myself. I cannot forgive myself for what happened. He says, I can't believe I did this to my best friend. And I said, you have to forgive you, yourself. And I'm going to tell you how you can do it. Because we have a God of forgiveness and a God that's gracious. And he will help you forgive yourself and to make things right with him. He says, how do I do that? So we prayed. Both him and his wife received Christ as their Savior and then we walked through some steps of forgiving both himself and just uh, some people in his life that he just uh, was struggling with. And so we went through a forgiveness process. And you could see the joy become to start coming back into his life as we prayed. And he finally started having some hope. And I said, if for no other reason God chose this incident for your sakes... Because I said, you now are in a relationship with God, the God of forgiveness, the God of grace. And I said, I don't know what God has planned for Tom and Amy, but he, I said, I trust that it's a good plan. By the way, Tom has partial sight back. He can, he can see, not, not straight ahead, but there's peripheral vision he can see out of his peripheral vision. And so we praise the Lord for that. Isn't that awesome? God answered prayer and uh, gave him sight back. So he can see his wife's beautiful face. He can watch his sons play baseball. He can do a lot of, he can even function, you know, around the house. He, he doesn't drive because he has a black hole right in the middle. But uh, he, he can see in peripheral vision. And so he's able to walk. He's able to take care of things around the house. So, so that's a blessing. And so we praise God for that because God has answered that prayer that he's got partial vision back. But I want to just share with you what happened just recently. Just about a couple, two or three weeks ago, maybe longer than that, I was in a company. And I was presenting Mark, uh, eye care team to the owner of the company. The owner sat there. The HR director sat there on the other side of the table. On this side of the table was Mary. Uh, she was an employee of the company that, uh, where the crisis happened that Amy worked at. She was the employee. So she's sitting next to me and we're telling this company about 
the benefits of a care team. And she said, can I say something? And I said, sure. And she began to weep. She told that story about Amy and Tom. And she couldn't hardly get even get through it because she was so moved with compassion and emotion what happened. And she said, that's why you guys need this ministry for your, your company. And the guy, the owner of the company said this. He says, I wish I could work for you. <laughs> that's what he said to me. By the way, they're signing up. And uh, so that's another praise. Uh, they're uh, a landscaping company, so they don't have their employees all together right now, but they're starting soon when they uh, get their company back, all their employees back. But anyway, um, but I just, I thought, you know, this is what God does. God works through us. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We love on people and we pray for people and we hug people and we weep with people because God puts that love and compassion for them. And they don't, they don't have to be our friends, our family. We try to make friends with everybody, but he just wants us to love on everybody. And so he has called us to do this. He's called all of us. All of us that are, like the, the scripture says, everyone that's born of God is, and knows God is called to love. So this is not just for people that are involved with eye care. It's in, it's in all of us are called to do this. And so it's, may, the God, may God's love shine through us. May the compassion of Jesus live in us and transform life as we go into the workplaces, as we go into homes, as we go into the community, wherever God leads us. My prayer is that God's Spirit would lead us and that we would hear over the distractions of the world those cries of people. That we would hear them and that our minds and hearts would be attentive to meet needs, to pray with them, to hug them, to cry with them, to hurt with them when they hurt and so that they can see Jesus as a result of our care and compassion for them. All of us are called to do this. And I encourage us to, uh, to pray that we will respond when the, the world is saying, you guys be quiet. We have better stuff to do. May we be the ones that hear their voice and say, what would you like us to do? Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, that you would speak through us, that, you would, that, we, that our hands and our, our feet would be quick to go to those in need, that we would show the compassion and the love of Jesus to those who are in her, that are hurting, that are in pain, that are in need, that uh, they need help. And may we hear their voice. And may it cause us to be moved with compassion, just like Jesus. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, minister through us. And may you receive all the glory. May it not be for any glory of ours, but, that, Lord, that you would receive the glory. That you would be just, um, that you would see 
Lord, that they would see Jesus in us. Lord, we just hope, we pray for that. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.